We'll take your Bibles and turn to James chapter 5. We're going to be reading verses 7 through 11 this morning. 7 through 11 in James chapter 5. We've been in James now for the entirety of 2017, and I think we've enjoyed our time. I hope you've enjoyed our time here. If not, sorry. Okay, moving forward. So here we go. This is James chapter 5. We're going to be in verse 7. We're going to read through verse 11. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also, be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brother, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, and how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So in our time together in the book of James, we've, we've kind of been dividing the book up into uh, these three themes. We've seen a handful of themes playing out, and this one is no different. This is kind of the first thing that we talked about. Um, when James, way back in chapter 1, that we looked at it the first day of the year, um, where he said, Carry it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And so when James is writing here towards the end of the book, he's sort of putting bookends on, um, on this letter to these people in first century Palestine. So when we're looking together, these Jews who would be reading this book together sort of in a house church, probably in a house context, would be sitting down together probably over a meal, reading this letter from start to finish, uh, and wondering what it is that James is communicating, which is like what we're doing this morning, although it looks a little bit different here. Um, so James then sort of unpacks these three themes for us throughout the course of our time in the book of James. Um, first and foremost, like we just communicated, is that there is a uh, that there are trials coming in our world. That these things are apparent. That they're going to happen. They are promised to the believer. Uh, but James says, let's face trials with the, uh, as those who understand what has happened here and now, or what is happening here and now. But let's think about these trials and focus, look through them to eternity. What are we looking at when we consider the trials? What are we looking at when the difficulty of the, when the difficulties of life come upon us? We're looking through the trials and we're looking at eternity and what God has promised to us in Christ Jesus. Um, secondly, the second theme is, is godly wisdom versus uh, worldly wisdom. And what does that look like? Treating the here and now as all that exists, right? And not looking through the here and now, but, um, but, but remaining here and focusing on the here and now is actually worldly wisdom. Um, and then also, James talks much about the, the poor and the downcast. We discussed this last week when we looked at James' warning to the rich when he, when he says to them, um, look at these people over here who have laid up treasures here on earth. This is not an eternal focus. This is not godly wisdom. This is, this is foolishness. This is folly. The poor and the downcast are the ones that the kingdom favors because the comforts of the world don't cloud the vision their vision of eternity. So that, that brings us to this text this morning, this, this idea of patience in the face of suffering. So we're looking at this text this morning, um, sort of a big idea for us coming out of it is this. James encourages his readers that patience and steadfastness in the face of suffering they are experiencing 
is yielding eternal, eternal benefit. Let me read that again. James encourages his readers that patience and steadfastness in the face of suffering are in the face of the suffering they are experiencing is yielding eternal benefit. So a lot of this text is about patience. Um, and so we here this morning, uh, I think, have a difficult time with patience. I think in general, we in a culture that is sort of saturated in, in instant gratification, we struggle with patience. So my kids, here's the, here's the example. We have a four-year-old, we have a two-year-old, we have a nine-year-old. She's not part of this equation. So four-year-old, two-year-old, watching TV, right? Um, they don't understand commercials at all. Okay, why? Because we're, we're sort of like this... We, we've, we've pulled the plug, right? We've not pulled the plug, what's the, what's the word? Cut the cord. We've cut the cord in our family. We have Netflix, we have Amazon Prime, whatever. We don't have traditional television, we don't have traditional cable, we don't have those things. So they simply don't understand commercials, right? They want to watch Daniel Tiger, and bam, we just pull up Amazon Prime and they're just watching it immediately. No, no kind of ad, no kind of anything. It's just there, right? They're just like, oh, okay, we're watching this now. That's what we want to watch. Um, they want to watch Winnie the Pooh, just pull up Netflix and it provides them an uninterrupted experience. It's just, it's there. It's, it's immediate. It's going on. For those of us in this room, for all of us, really, I mean, there's no, there, none of us have experienced a time where, like, commercials weren't part of our, our uh, viewing, television viewing experience. So they want to watch a video about monster trucks. They say, Dad, show us a video about monster trucks. I just pull it up on YouTube and I'm watching a video about monster trucks immediately. There might be a short ad, and they're like, what is this about? This isn't about monster trucks. But then it's Andrew, I just hit skip real quick, and then, and then we move on to our monster trucks. Um, so just a couple weeks ago, we introduced a television show that we enjoyed as children to our kids. Um, and as you know, commercial breaks are a thing. So every once in a while throughout the course of the show, there's this like fade to black, right? There's, a, there's this fade to black, and, 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 and then there, the commercial would be inserted there, and then it would move on. We, they were watching it on a DVD, so there was actually no commercial, but when it faded to black, they lost their minds. They were like, what is this? Dad, stop. Why'd you pause it? Wait, and, and before they could even get the words out of the mouth, the, the show was back on, and they were quiet. But So they, they were just, just blown away by the fact that there would be some kind of interruption in the television show that they were watching. Dad, where did it go? Dad, why did you pause it? Dad, turn it back on. And this is, I think, the perfect example of what it is to be instantly gratified, right? To always have things at our disposal immediately with no kind of waiting for us. Um, I go to Menards, and they, like, 99.9% .9 of the time have exactly what I need all of the time. They're just going like, to drive down the road and get it, pick it up, right? Or, and if they don't, I just go on Amazon and literally pull out my phone and, and like, hit a couple buttons, and it's on the way, it'll be there in two days. I'm at my front door, I don't even have to go anywhere and get it. It's right there. It's, it, it, we have this entire, so we don't even labor to eat, right? Like, we just unpackage something and throw it in the microwave. Or a leftover, or something like that. Sometimes we like to, so we, we spend time and, and, and do things like that, but, but overall, like, I'm like, man, I really want a rotisserie chicken, I just go to Hugo's. Like, and it's there, and it's on my table in less than 10 minutes, or like, less than five minutes. It's incredible. So with everything so readily available to us, so like patience is kind of this strange thing. You're saying, well, I'm a patient person, but really, are you? Like, let's let's get real. Like, really, are you? And so that's that's the question. And because of that, I think we've sort of become, in our world, we've become these violent consumers, right? Because we have all of these things that are available to us at the touch of a button or at just right down the road or wherever we need them, whenever we need them, however we want them. 
Um, this is a, this is, I'm going to read you this extended quote from this author. His name is Wendell Berry. He's a conservationist and a poet and an author. Um, and he had this perspective of the modern man as he watched sort of this consumerism, this lack of patience idea sort of spiral. This is actually from 40 years ago. It's just like, when I read this, I was like, man, he wrote this yesterday. But in, in all reality, he, he wrote it 40 years ago, 1977. This is, this is his portrait of a modern man. All of his vital concerns are in the hands of certified experts. He's a certified expert himself, and as such, he earns more money in a year than all his great-grandparents put together. Between stints at his job, he has nothing to do but mow his lawn in a sit-down lawnmower, or watch other certified experts on television. At supper time, he may eat a tray of ready-prepared food, which he and his wife, also a certified expert, procure at the cost of only money, transportation, and the pushing of a button. For a few minutes between supper and sleep, he may catch a glimpse of his children, who since breakfast have been in the care of educational experts, basketball or marching band experts, or perhaps legal experts. The fact is, however, that this is probably the most unhappy average citizen in the history of the world. He has not the power to provide himself with anything but money, and his money is inflating like a balloon and drifting away, subject to historical circumstances and the power of other people. From morning to night, he does not touch anything that he has produced himself and which he can take pride in. For all his leisure and recreation, he feels bad. He looks bad. He's overweight. His health is poor. His air, water, food are known to contain poisons. There are fair, there's a fair chance that he will die of suffocation. His, he suspects that his love life is not as fulfilling as other people's. He wishes that he had been born sooner or later. He does not know why his children are the way they are. He does not understand what they say. He does not care much and does not know why he does not care. He does not know what his wife wants or what he wants. Certain advertisements and pictures and magazines make him suspect that he is basically unattractive. He feels that all his possessions are under threat of pillage. He does not know what he would do if he lost his job, if the economy failed, if the utility companies failed, if the police went on strike, if the truckers went on strike, if his wife left him, his children ran away, if he should be found to be incurably ill. All of these anxieties, of course, he consults certified experts, who in turn consult certified experts about their anxieties. So that's a, that's a pretty bleak portrait, and it's probably a little cynical, um, but I think it serves our purposes this morning, right? Um, uh, it doesn't seem that far from the truth, and the fact of the matter is because these are the realities in which it lives, our concept of patience is small and underdeveloped. Because to be perfectly honest, there's little to be patient for in our world. There's just little to be patient for. There's not a whole lot that we need to put off into the future uh, to be patient for, or so we are led to believe. So when we get to this passage, um, this appears straightforward, and I think it is, right? James commands his readers in verse 7 to be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Uh, but there's little, bit, little that we actually understand or can actually apply to our lives here. Or, again, so it seems. It's hard to wrap our minds around. So we treat God and the church like a big box store, like a vending machine, because this is the way that we are conditioned in our world. And this is, this is worldly wisdom. This is what it looks like. This is why James is talking about this so clearly. It's because worldly wisdom says, here it is. Here's the big box. Here, just go get what you want. When you want it, press the button. Have it in front of you. And here we go. And so when things don't go our way or we appear, or they simply appear to not be going away, we look to conjure up something for ourselves. So let's consider then the text. Let's look at verses 7 and 8 in particular. This is kind of where I want to camp this morning. Is thinking about these two verses in particular, because I think they set the stage for the rest of our text. So, 
Command, right? Immediately, command. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Um, so, definition then, right? Here's a definition of patience. This is simple. I just pulled it right out of the dictionary. I didn't do anything other than just Google define patience. And like, really? Okay. Is that ironic? Okay. Here's the definition. I didn't even pull a book off the shelf and like have to go through it alphabetically. Okay. Able to accept or tolerate delays, problems, or suffering without becoming annoyed or anxious. Uh, and again, the command is then repeated, right, in verse 8. You also be patient, right? You also be patient. So that's an emphatic statement, right? You also be patient. The second time, emphasis is, is put there. Um, okay, so about an hour before every mealtime. Oh, perfect. Kids are perfect examples of this. Right? Okay, so about an hour before mealtime, every, every meal, without fail, um, they come into the kitchen and say, when's, when's breakfast, lunch, or dinner going to be ready? Right? Without fail. Like an hour. Like to the, to the minute. Just look at the clock and you're like, buddy, it's not going to be ready for like an hour. Let's, let's just, just head over there. Um, so I used to say to them, when I said to them, we'll be ready for a while. Please be patient. Please be patient. Thinking that I would build up this understanding of patience in them. Um, Unfortunately, what that became was I'm going to sit down at the end of the counter and sit there for one minute, and and then I'm going to go off and do something else, and then come and ask you again in five. Um, so being patient, when I say, buddy, you need to be patient, it simply means sit down, declare that I'm going to sit at the end of the counter for one minute. Um, and then part of the question that I asked them coming out of that is, what are you being patient for? Right? What are you being patient? What are you looking for? What are you looking to? Um, are you looking to something in the future? And oftentimes there's not much response. Like, I just, maybe it's just not there yet. Maybe they just can't, like, verbalize, but, well, I'm waiting for you to make me food, right? But, but in a lot of instances, I think some of the problem that we have with patience is that we don't understand what we're waiting for. But James gives his readers exactly what they need to be patient for, right? Second half of verse 7. Until the coming of the Lord. Or Second half of the sentence in verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Now, that's, that's funny. Um, what he doesn't say is be patient. Things are going to get better. Things are going to get better here on earth. He doesn't say that. James doesn't want his readers to invest their hope in anything other than what's promised to them in eternity. Uh, the resolution of your suffering can't be, this is what James wants his readers to see, the resolution of your suffering can't be found here. It simply cannot be found here. You can, you can experience temporary relief. But you cannot be found, you know, a resolution to your suffering cannot be found here. Um, but it can only be resolved perfectly in eternity. So this ties us then back into James, his themes, as we, we, we've been looking through this book, this theme of eternity and the temporary. Don't fix your eyes on here and now, fix them on eternity. Therefore, with that understanding in mind, with the understanding of fixing your eyes on eternity and not on the temporary, don't fix your eyes on the here and now, but fix them on the eternity. Therefore, be patient. Which gives us this example that, that probably doesn't land very well. Maybe it does. Maybe it lands with us. Um, see how the farmer waits for precious fruit in the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. So, for a farmer in the first century, uh, in this region of the world, in, in Palestine, there have been there have been two like kind of rainy seasons. One would have sort of started in October uh, and and ended in January. Uh, Seventy-five percent of their rain would have probably come between December and January. They just had this is the early rains. These rains they come down. Um, they're absolutely essential for crops. They came every year the same amount. 
But, but then there were the late rains. And the late rains would come in March and April. And if those rains didn't come, and they were much lesser, but they were absolutely essential for the harvest. Absolutely essential for the harvest. And they put their trust and their hope that, that those rains would come and that harvest would be ready. Um, it was very much the 11th hour for them. Um, and this is what the coming of the Lord is like, right? It's very much the 11th hour. The late rains are like the coming of the Lord. So again, in verse 8 then, we have this, after this, after this understanding of the farmer, we have this reiteration of this re-emphasis on the command to be patient, right? Uh, but then there's this admonition. I think this is really interesting here. He says in verse 8, You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. This admonition to establish your hearts in light of the coming of the Lord. You know that the coming of the Lord is happening, so establish your hearts. And I think that's interesting language that, that James used, right? To, to establish, to sort of set up this, an organization or a structure or, or a system or a set of rules. Um, that's sort of our English language understanding. But the word in the original sort of means to be um, inwardly firm, inwardly committed, inwardly steadfast. To establish yourself in something is to be inwardly certain of it. But it's used to, this word in particular is used to describe Jesus as he set out on his journey to the cross. He's, he set out to move to uh, the most important historical event in all of history, um, this word is used. He established himself in his, in his path. In another sense, this is sort of putting down deep roots. What does it look like for us to put down deep roots to uh, establish our hearts in something? So the question is, then, what does James mean by this, right? Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. So I think a couple of things are important here. I'm drawing these from the, the, the beginning the, the, our, or most of our time together in the book of James and what continues to come up time and time again throughout the course of the book, establishing your hearts. What does that mean? First, it's corporate. It's, it's given to the church, right? To, to the churches, to all the people. Establish your hearts. Plural. You all establish your hearts. Do this together. Um, try and establish your heart alone, and this won't happen. This won't happen. It's not going to happen if you try and establish your heart alone. This is not possible. This is not the way that God made us. This is not the way God set this forth. Why is this hard for us? Well, we are patient, right? This is, this is coming back, drawing back us back to uh, the beginning of verse 7 and the beginning of verse 8. We're not patient people. We're consumers first. We want instant gratification. We're saying, establish your heart. And it's like, immediately, okay, I'm going to establish my heart now. No, you don't. that's not how this works. You don't, you don't immediately establish your heart. It is a long-time, long-term uh, production that is taking place in you. Right? And to, to surround yourself, to build yourself firmly within the context of the local church in the corporate setting um, is one way that your heart is established. Again, we want this instant gratification. We've been fattened up on this individualism. We want something. Put, pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Do it. Get it done. You all together is the command. You all together establish your heart. Secondly, the foundation is essential. The foundation here is essential. 
It's hard to establish something on a faulty foundation. You try to build a house and you don't lay a, or you don't build, put it in a basement or you don't lay a slab. Like it's just gonna bam, it's gonna fall down. It's gonna something's gonna shift and it's all coming down. It's hard to establish something on a faulty foundation. And so for us, you know where I'm going with this. What is the foundation? The foundation is God's word. The foundation here is God's word. Plant your net as yourself next to streams of water, streams that don't dry up. Psalm 1, 1 through 3 says this. Blessed is the man who walks, not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. So the psalmist here says law, right? He says um, he delights in the law of the Lord. Um, so when the psalmist is writing this, he's, he's saying, this is probably the only scripture you have is the first five books of the Bible, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. You're like, the law, that's all he would have had. That's all that would have been written down for him at this time. Or all at least that he would acknowledge as, as scripture. So these first five books of the Old Testament were just referred to the law. He just called the law, right? Um, since then, God has revealed himself in a, in a dramatic way and given us the rest of this here. Um, so that we can read it together, we can glean from it the character and the purposes of God. Um, so the psalmist immerses himself in Scripture. So when he says, I delight in the law of the Lord, what he's saying is, I delight in God's revealed self to us, and that comes to us in, in God's Word. 61 other books given to us then, and we have this here, and we understand God's character, His purpose, and, and what He's accomplishing here on earth. So these streams of water then that he's planted himself into, he's the source, he's the foundation. This is the foundation of, um, the foundation is God um, as revealed to us in the pages of scripture. The man who plants himself next to the streams of water, this is his source, this is his foundation, this is the very life that he has. Um, so for us this morning, many of us have neglected this source, right? Many of us have found other ways, other places to plant ourselves. This is easy to do. This is very, very easy to do. We plant ourselves in, in something else. We feel like it's a good source for a while, right? It's ultimately going to dry up. This is the only source that's going to last. This is the only source that is going to carry you through to the end, the steadfastness that is required, that James says so clearly is required at the beginning of his, at the beginning of his letter, is going to ultimately, if it's not this, and it's something else, it's going to dry up and it's going to leave you broken. So many of you this morning are attempting or have neglected this source, or attempting to plant yourself in next to something other than God's Word altogether. There's this cool stream over there, lots of people are doing it, it's going to be fun, we're going to go over there, we're going to plant ourselves next to that stream. It promises temporary energy, it promises temporary happiness, whatever. You allow yourself to be pulled away from the source, and towards another. Okay, so maybe a pastor. I, I see stuff. I, I, I understand what's going on. I'm not disconnected from this culture that we reside in. Um, I watch people nonstop on Facebook, Twitter, whatever, talk about uh, their sources all the time. What is their source? What? Where is it? Saying things like or the, the the ideas are always life changing. This changed my life. This changed my life. This changed my life. And in one way, brothers and sisters, the only thing that has the ability to change your life is the truth of the gospel revealed to us together in God's Word. 
except for the truth of the gospel, nothing is life-changing. It can't. It simply can't. It can change your life for a little while. It can offer some temporary relief. But at the end of the day, it's going to dry up, it's going to burn up, and it's going to blow away. It might, again, it might provide some temporary relief. It just simply cannot change your life. Your marriage is in a tough place. The admonition given to us in Scripture by James is to believe the gospel. Not to go seek out um, communication techniques or these things, but to understand the truth of the gospel as it's revealed to us in the pages of Scripture. You feel hopeless, you feel energyless, you feel sluggish, you feel burned out, you feel depressed. Believe the gospel. Believe the truth of what Jesus has provided for us here in, this world, in, in the Word. He said things like, I'll never leave you or forsake you. He's like, put your hope there. Put your hope in the place where he is. The call is to believe the gospel. You're being slandered at work. Whatever it is, believe the gospel. Believe the truth of the gospel. Jesus entered into this world. He came in the most humble of circumstances. He came into a manger. He was in a place, a, a position of complete and utter humility. Lived a life perfect, completely in accordance to God's word. And completely in accordance to the law that God set forth. He died a death that we deserve. Was raised as ruling and reigning at the Father's right hand. And we wake up in the morning. We feel like we don't have energy. And we despair. So the call here to establish your hearts, right? Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. So two things then. Do it together and do it in the Word of God. If together we establish our hearts in God's Word, we plant ourselves next to these streams of water, like the psalmist says in Psalm 1. And, they, and we reject, and we don't introduce other sources into our world, and when, it comes, when suffering comes, and trials come, like James promises that they will, we'll be prepared. We will not be tempted to grumble against our brother, as he says in verse 9, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged, for behold, the judge is standing at the door. Brother, we live our lives humility, honoring and loving God, and, and loving others as a result. So, friends, as we look together at this, it says, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. The understanding is the suffering that you're enduring cannot pull you away from this. We're not called to get past our suffering. We're not called to be. We're, we're not called to just just circumvent it. We're called to be patient in it. Why? Because the coming of the Lord Jesus is coming back, and all of this will will blow away. Um, famous theologian, apologist, pastor, about uh, 41 years ago, Francis Schaeffer wrote this about the same time that quote that I read earlier to you was was written. I mean, he would always ask this question. We always ask this question, how should we then live? In light of the world in which we live and the things that are going on and the way that we are, what's playing out in, in our world, how then should we live based on our understanding of God's word? So, simply put, right? So, verse 7, be patient. Verse 8, be patient. Our world is a world of instant gratification. You want it, you can essentially have it whenever you want it. We face suffering, we face trials, we face frustrations, and we import those ideas into that place, right? We import those ideas, and we say, um, and we say, well, no, we need to get past this right now. We instantly gratify. But James says, no, be patient. This is a concept that we have a little capacity. So if you're hurting this morning, if you've lost your job, 
if you're in a job that you feel like is dead end, if you wake up every morning and you feel bogged down by the monotony of your job, job if your coworkers are jerks and they slander you, um, if your health is poor and declining, if your loved one's health is poor and declining, if your depression is crippling, if you're not happy with whatever direction that your life is taking you, whatever your situation is, the call is clear here, be patient. Be patient, not for things to get better here on earth, because there's no guarantee that they will, but for things, uh, the, the, but for eternity to come about. Be patient for the coming of the Lord. What does that look like? Um, it looks like a life that is focused, what is promised to you in the pages of Christian Scripture, what is promised to you in Christ. Be patient is one thing to be patient for the coming of the Lord. What are we being patient for? For the eternity that is promised to us. Paul writes something very similar to the church in Rome in, in Romans 8, 18-25. He says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. That's us. The creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself would be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies, for in this we hope we were saved. Now hope, is, uh, now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes in what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So lots of words there, Peter said of Paul. He's like, Paul is this guy, he says a lot of words, it's hard to understand him sometimes. What is he, gosh Paul, what are you saying here? Um, what he's saying is this. The deepest pain that you feel right now, the deepest pain that you feel in this life, And for the rest of your life, physically, emotionally, spiritually, whatever, whatever pain that you feel, it's not even worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. It's not even worth comparing. It's not that you should compare it. It's not even worth it. Don't even bother. It's a waste of your time. It's a waste of your effort. This hurt that you're feeling is going to be swallowed up by eternity, there was an eternity that was purchased by the blood of Jesus. And Jesus is making these preparations for us now. He promises us that. So this is what we hope for. We hope for what Paul says in this text in Romans 8. We hope for things that we do not see. But we believe in him who has promised it to us. We believe in him who has promised to us. And we believe that the work of Christ performed on the cross was enough to get us there. That it was sufficient for it. And then we wait with patience. We wait patiently. So when we look at this, we think that well, that, seems, that seems pretty straightforward. That our, our problem is this. We say, yeah, yeah, I have hope in eternity coming. I trust Jesus. And then we invest our time and efforts and establish our hearts next to dried up riverbeds, right? These dried up streams of water that cannot provide life. Friends, don't do this. Don't, don't do this. Think about your week as in this life. Think about your week. What does your week look like? What are you placing your hope in? What are you placing your hope in? Is it for that clock to show 5 p.m. on Friday? Is it for the weekend? Is it for your spouse to get home to relieve you of kid duty 
Is it the bank account to show a certain number? Is it to be free from physical pain? Is it for that next deadline at work to pass or for that next exam to pass? Are you placing your hope in ha happy living, healthy living, a happy life, a successful marriage, obedient children? This is all foolishness, James says. This is all foolishness. Maybe we've sold out to these ideas or maybe we're just dabbling in them regularly. Stop dabbling. That's the call. Stop dabbling. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Jesus didn't say to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me on Sunday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and whatever day else you feel like. He says, take up your cross and follow me. There are no conditions placed on that command. Don't put it down on Monday and Tuesday. Don't put it down on Thursday. Take up your cross and follow me. The cost of discipleship is great. Your life isn't yours. It's not about you. If you're in Christ, you've surrendered it. Stop living like it is your own. A life that's making most of you is dying. A life that's making most of Christ is living. So our, our time is drawing to a close here. So, so let me just say a couple of things here. It's like James says very clearly in verse 7, Be patient, therefore, until the coming of the Lord. So there's a couple things that are essential here then, right? A couple things that are essential for us. First is taking the focus off of us. Taking the focus off of us. Like we talked about a few weeks ago in, in Philippians 2, where Jesus emptied himself, where he humbled himself, he came to earth, he lived a life that was set apart because of the way that he took the focus off himself. Take the focus off of you, and then secondly, establish your hearts together with God's people and in God's word. This is what it means to be patient together for the coming of the Lord. We need each other. We need each other to be pointing each other to the fact that whatever is happening here on this earth, whatever we're going through right now is temporary. Is, in fact, temporary. If you put your trust in Jesus Christ, if you put your hope in Him and Him alone, then the eternity to the coming is far greater than anything you're experiencing in your day here. So then we look at this together, we're establishing our hearts, so we say, wake up, wake up to the understanding that some of us are in a very dangerous place. Some of us are establishing ourselves next to these streams that are in jeopardy of drying up or have already dried up. Some of us are dabbling in these streams, some of us are moving there, using words like life-changing or phrases like life-changing and saying, this is changing my life, when in fact it has no power to do that. Leave these streams behind. That's the call here. Leave these streams behind. Be patient, therefore, until the coming of the Lord. The only good news is the good news of Jesus Christ. This is the only good news for us in our world. There's no secret here to, to victorious living. There is, a, there, is, there is only walking in humility, acknowledging that your life is not your own, patiently enduring, like James says, patiently enduring until Jesus comes back until we've sucked into eternity. This is it. This is it. I think we get our world, we get our wires crossed far too often. We start to think to ourselves, yeah, if I just, if I import this idea, if I bring this about, if this happens here at this time, then things will be better for me. But James says, don't worry about those things. Look through them. Be patient until the coming of the Lord. So this is, this is a perfect opportunity that we're going to transition to the table this morning. We're going, to, we're going to take together the elements and participate together in remembering what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And this is an act of patience. 
This is an active patience first. Because when we go to this table, we say, there is something coming. There is something coming. We are remembering, we are, we are together remembering and proclaiming Christ's death until he returns. When he said to us, uh, this is my body, broken on your behalf. When he said, this is my blood shed for you. What he's doing is saying that, that your blood, or my, or my blood has washed away your sin. My broken body, the righteousness that I have, is being granted to you. Now, here, for the rest of this time, when my church is being established here, the kingdom of God is now at hand. We are standing together as those who take and remember and look forward to the marriage feast of the Lamb. But patiently. This is not happening now. It's not happening now. We are looking forward to it. We are patiently enduring together what we're experiencing here on earth so that we can, we can get to, so we can move to, so we can look through the things of this earth. So that's where we're going to turn our attention now. Um, I would invite everyone who has trusted Jesus to participate together with us this morning. If you're not sure where you stand, first I'd love to talk to you. Someone up front here would love to talk with you. I'd love to talk to you. If none of this made sense to you this morning, come on, let's, let's talk. Let's have an open dialogue about, about this. I'd love to have a conversation with you. But if you're in that position, if you're not sure what it means to follow Jesus, if you're not sure what this is all about, I would ask for you just to, to refrain. No one's looking at you. Nobody, nobody is, nobody's thinking. Nobody's judging. This is an act that we're gonna, we're, this morning we're going to take as those who have trusted Jesus. Parents of young children, your children are here. They're not sure um, um, what, uh, not sure yet where they stand. I would ask you to um, to uh, exercise discretion on their behalf um, and 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 just how have them refrain in this time. If you feel confident where they are, if they've made a profession of Christ, we welcome them to come forward to the table. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray. The worship team is going to come up. What you can do is when you feel prepared in your heart to come forward to grab these elements. Uh, to think patiently about the marriage feast of the Lamb that's coming. We're going to invite you to come forward, um, grab the bread, grab the juice, head back to your seat, go ahead and partake when your heart is prepared to do so. Um, let me pray, and, uh, and we'll participate in the table together this morning.